1: Time now for the Church of the Week, showcasing churches and pulpit ministries from across the greater San Francisco Bay Area.
2: My guest today is a Bay Area native, a graduate of Terra Linda High School up in Marin County, been married to his wife, Dina, for 37 years, and is a new grandfather. So, By the end of the broadcast, expect there to be a slideshow. The photographs will come out. We'll hear all about it. We are pleased to have joined us today the senior pastor of Sonoma Lighthouse with campuses in Sonoma, Santa Rosa, and Guerneville, Pastor Steve Reyes. And Pastor Steve, great to have you with us today.
3: Thank you so much for allowing me to join you. Real privilege.
2: And we're going to hold you to those photographs of the (laughs) grandkid. (laughs)
3: <laughs> before it's
2: all before it's all over with. Well, a delight to get a chance to uh, visit with you today, talk a bit about what God is doing in and through Sonoma Lighthouse, and you're part mm-hmm. of the, the North Bay Area of the San Francisco Bay Region. But let's start with a little bit of background for listeners that are perhaps unfamiliar with you and your ministry. I mentioned mm-hmm. in my opening remarks, you were a Bay Area native. Take a moment, if you would, and kind of walk us through your spiritual journey. Had you been raised in the church? And and talk to us a bit about your, uh, your initial encounter when God got a hold of you.
3: Yeah. Um, I was saved in 1980. I was born again in 1980. My, um, his, my history before that is pretty simply, I was born in the middle of the L.A. Barrio, um, Montebello, California, and then we lived on Gage Avenue and through a really powerful uh, group of expressions uh i was been i got to see as a as a young child church just in the cultural sense of the mexican heritage and everything like that and so um early on my mom had gotten saved and had taken us to a little pentecostal church and i'm told that as a little guy, I, I would kneel at the little altar there, and and I would I would pray to Jesus, and and I remember a lot of things, and kind of just a little bit little, little vague there, but but then just became secular, just moved into a, a regular life, and God was not a part of my life at all, and uh, so it, one thing led to another in, but just before 1980, I was living in Marin County, I. It's really interesting because I was exposed to all of everything everybody else was in Marin, all of the Bay Area music. For example, I I own the CP70 electric piano that the elect that the Grateful Dead used to tour the world. Wow, yeah, it, it's a just a little piece of piano in my garage, and it's it's a just a testimony of kind of the the way that Bay Area kids are constantly uh, exposed to all kinds of different things that that are happening out there. So. Jesus Church, Gospel, Christ, that was all my mom's thing. But then on July thirty first, nineteen eighty, I was driving my mom uh some, somewhere. Um can I can I backtrack because it's a little important? Prior to this salvation event, three, some months earlier, date stamps are fuzzy, my mom and my mom wanted to, to uh was reaching for me and she wanted me to go to a Keith Green concert. And I, I don't know who Keith Green was. And so she flipped a cassette deck to me and said, hey, come in. We're going to listen to this guy. Tell, tell me what you think. And I I said, oh, mom, it's, it's your church music. No, no, thanks. I was listening to Earth, Wind, and Fire and Elton John. I didn't need that. And I don't know, got bored. I popped in the, the cassette tape. Do you remember cassette tapes?
2: Oh, yeah. <laughs> Blast yeah. from the past.
3: Just saying. So we popped one of those in, and I listened. And I heard this guy. Pound this piano all across the room. I thought, goodness sakes, that's exciting. I said, okay, mom, tell you what, I'll, I'll go with you to your gig. And so my mom puts us in a car. My 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 mother is the only one serving the Lord at this time. We go across the um, we we'll go across the bay and we go to the church with the big three crosses there. And so there Keith Green is, well, we pull up and there's a huge crowd outside the door. There's people, the the announcement comes, it's packed. Keith is, stay around. Keith is going to do a second concert. We're, we're debating whether we're going to stay. And then they come out and, and, and they, and they say, you know, we're going to try and make it happen. I did something as, as the Lord is my witness. I really did this. I said, we, get to, we were walking up in the big crowd, and I said, oh, Dad, this is a church. They're dumb. They leave, they leave all kinds of doors open. And my family followed me around the back of the church where I just kept trying doors to get in. Remember, I'm not a, I'm not a believer. I'm, not a, no, I'm just a kid. I'm a teen kid. It's like – anyway, Lord's involved, Obviously. I pull a handle, the door opens, we walk in, some guy with a headset walks by. I, I ask him, hey, where's where's the stage? And he goes, oh, that way. And he just assumed, you know, I'm there, I know what I'm doing, I belong there, I guess, I don't know. I walk over, I open the door, I walk in, and there in the front row are a bunch of reserved seats. I go, oh great, there's our seats. And we went in and sat in those seats. Packed auditorium, then they announce, Keith doesn't wanna do a second concert. He wants to pack as many as we can in. And so now they're sitting on the floors. He says, you can come up and sit around the uh, uh, stage. Hey, I came for the music. I don't know who Keith is. I'm going to sit around the stage. So I go up there and I sit behind the the, the piano where I can watch his hands. And there I have my, my youngest sister, Laura, on my lap. And he plays and I watch him play. And it, it, learn, I'm learning things while he's playing. I'm like, man, this guy can play and sing. Well, that that's what I do. That's what I, I want to watch him do it. It comes time for him to preach. And he, you, you know, a piano bench is uh, rectangular. So he goes to turn it and I'm in the way now. So he literally has to reach over and his right hand touches me on the chest. And he says, can you scoot back a little? I said, yeah. And I move my chair back. He turns his chair he's, and he looks this way and he puts his fing, finger in the air to points it up and he starts to preach. And as God is my witness, I can't tell you a word he said.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: I started to cry and I cried for three days. I didn't know what was happening to me. I had no idea what I, I, did, I didn't know Holy Spirit from, from nothing. That event. So then, fast forward. I have this three-day event. Fast forward, my mom says, Hey, I'm going up to the Santa Rosa campus. and We live in Lucas Valley. You want to drive me? No. Do you want to come with me? I'm like, no. Whatever that was. thank <laughs> you. No. Know, I don't want to go hear that guy. No. Whatever that was, you, you can have it. And she says, well... I'm going to be gone for the weekend because it's a camp thing. It's going to be all there. And if you want to use my car, you've got to drive me up there. And I said, okay. And so I I got in the car to drive her up there. And in the car, on the way, the Lord comes into the automobile and he introduces himself to me. And I got saved in my car on July 31st, 1980, driving to Jesus West Coast. Uh-huh. I stayed. <laughs> that's, that's. That's what happened. So that's 1980. Then the rest of the fast years, I stayed in one church for 20 years. At the end of 20, I worked with some other ministries and stuff, but I stayed in the same church under one pastor. And then in the year 2000, um, we gave everything away and went to Asia and lived in Manila, Philippines, and I ministered there and and met the greatest, one of the greatest men in the whole world, Bishop Boy Ramos. And we would we would jump in the car and go out to the, to remote places of villages where there were little churches of 12 people. And we would bring a bag of rice and we would bring a, a new shirt for the pastor and some slacks. And we would bring toys for the babies and clothes for the moms. And we would, and, and I would sing and he would preach and, and it was just, then we'd go to the next church with 13 and on, we would do that. It was just one of the greatest times of my life. Just real,
2: in, in the trenches ministry. I, yeah, I, real. I, I'm yeah, curious, Pastor it. Steve, from the time God got a hold of you, uh, not long after your high school experience, at what point did you begin to recognize that in addition to saving you and drawing him unto yourself, that he wanted to put you to work for the kingdom? When, when did you first get the inkling that there was a calling on your life?
3: Fair question. Um, Right away, to be embarrassingly honest, I had a very supernatural experience. And in that time, he told me what I would be doing in the future and places I would go and things I would do. And so the first thing, believe it or not, he told me to do was to go to church and And immediately I, I like I went to the youth guy, and I said, "What do I do? He said, "Read the Bible, so I read the Bible, I came back, I said, "That was a great book. What do I do now?" He goes, "Oh no, <laughs> one of these <laughs> so right away, they started a Bible school at that church. I got involved, and then i made i aimed that direction since I was eighteen years.
2: What was your mother's reaction to all of this i mean it had she had an inkling that God had his hand on your life in a significant way, when you finally, after putting up all that resistance uh, early on and kind of begrudgingly getting drug into church, now all of a sudden you're throwing yourself into church and willing to essentially, as you mentioned, surrender your life to ministry. What was mom's reaction?
3: Man, you almost made me cry there. I am so glad you asked about my mom uh, and her role in that, because the truth is that <clears throat> my mother was is still still alive. I love her lives around the corner. Is still uh, a praying woman, and it was my mom's prayers that were constant, regular. I um I can remember coming in as a lost teenager from being out in crazy car rides where I should have not come back home alive. I can remember coming in the door at 2 two a.m. and sliding the glass door and looking, and my mom gets up off her knees in the living room and comes over and kisses me on the cheek and says, I'm glad you're home, mijo, and kisses me and goes to sleep. And I know that I'm alive because of her prayers, but she constantly prayed for her children and her husband who was not saved. And all of us are saved and serving the Lord. Is
2: there, and I, I think I know the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway for the benefit of those eavesdropping on our conversation. Is there a message there, Pastor Steve, for everyone listening right now that has prayed for a child, raised them in church? done all the right things, and yet seeing that child go wayward, is there a message here in terms of the faithfulness of God and the impact of a praying mother, a praying father on that child's, that son or daughter's life? I
3: would, I can, amen, there's a message and it's this, the voice that you are listening to talk to you right now is speaking to you because that mom didn't give up praying And if you are a praying mom or dad, I want you to know God is hearing you, and he is listening, and he has a bowl that is filled with your prayers and your tears, and he's going to answer your prayer.
2: And it's just a matter, I think, of being consistent and being faithful and it's not the same for everybody as you mentioned your, your your testimony on the dramatic side not everyone has that kind of encounter some people as a young child start going to church respond to an altar call and then end up serving the lord for the next 90 years other people have to go through some rough times and have a rough and tumbled experience on the way to the altar I think, though, yes. in the end, both have an incredible testimony, whether it's the testimony oh, of what God has saved you from or kept you from. Nevertheless, it's a phenomenal testimony of his grace and his faithfulness. You know, I, I think of the Roman centurion and what must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you shall be saved, and your household. And I believe that that's a promise that if we are faithful in prayer, and leading by example, it might take 10 years, it might Amen. take 20 or 30 years. Amen. It isn't to us as to when God answers our prayer, but that he answers our prayer. And you know what it, the Bible says about that, that fervent righteous man praying that that fervent righteous prayer availeth or brings about much. And I think that's that's an important message, I think, for parents to hear these days. We look in the news every day, Pastor Steve, we see yes. all see it stories about crime and kids that are shooting, not only shooting each other, mm. shooting teachers. Mm. My goodness. Mm. I mean, clearly we are in a mm. lost and dying world and all the signs point to mm. that sense of drawing ever so close mm. to the end times. And yet in mm. and through all of this, God's faithfulness to his word can, continues to be as much real that we can lay our life on today as it was back in Jesus' time. Walk us through, if you would, from the time you started getting involved in that church and said, okay, God, uh, I'm, I'm lock, stock, and barrel. I'm turning it all over to you. Uh, there were obviously some miracles along the way. and you You shared with me briefly how the Lord led you and your spouse to Sonoma Lighthouse, and uh you had kind of an interesting encounter. Now most of us walk out of a coffee shop with a bit of jitters <laughs> from the caffeine. <laughs> you walked out of a co- out of a coffee shop with a very different experience and and I and I it's a wonderful story. Walk us through that.
3: I had gone to Sonoma to do a wedding and I they were not ready yet. And so I went across the street to the coffee shop. I got my cup of coffee at Deaf Dog Cafe and As I was walking out of the shop, the Lord uh, encountered me and he spoke directly to me and said, Stephen, I'm going to, you're going to pastor in this city. And then he began to talk to me about the names of people in that valley, um, people I'd never met. And I was overwhelmed and dropped my coffee and ran around the corner and huddled and cried and prayed and talked to the Lord a while about what he was telling me and then, when I could get my wits together, and I was still crying, I called the man that I was working with at the time, Pastor Caleb Kling of New Life Christian Center in Novato, and he had graciously received me back from our missionary journey that we'd returned from. And so we, uh, I said, Pastor, we, brother, we we are. Uh, God just spoke to me. We're going to do a church here, and I just just gushed with what the Lord was talking to me about, and we prayed together on the phone that God would, you know, bring it to pass, and then we called it a wrap. A couple of weeks later, date stamps are fuzzy here, I'm I'm not sure exactly, but not long, a couple weeks or so later, my my pastor's at a conference, and at the conference, two people come to him, approach him, and ask him, are you from Novato? He confirms, yeah, I am. And they said, and they talked a little bit, and it was, he said it was in their heart, it was in their heart to give him their church, and they wanted to know if he had anybody that could take that church. And he said, well, I, I think I've got one guy that, that could do it, and he was kind of thinking of me, but nothing definite, and and then they said, well, and he asked them, well, where's your church? And he, and he said, and they said, it's in Sonoma, and he goes, out. oh, goodness, he, uh, he just called me from there. And so the discussions began, and they confirmed it. And they said, "Yep, you're the guy. Let's let's put you in this place." And so, fast version in November of 2005, they they washed my feet and handed me the the the, the keys and the everything to the church there, a little, a little bit in the bank, and little the little handful of people that were left there. And so we started there in uh, 2005.
2: Wow, and and out of that remnant, of course. God has done some tremendous things, and now you are meeting in multiple campuses. But for folks that are new to the San Francisco Bay Area, maybe they're looking for a new church home. Tell us a bit about life and ministry at Sonoma Lighthouse.
3: Wow. We call ourselves, our tagline, we call ourselves a fellowship of committed Christian friends. And what I want to celebrate right now as I look forward, and if you're listening, you're looking for a home in church. I work with a dream team. I can't, I have a group of elderly saints that call it home, and I tell them that they are my canary in the coal mine. If they're here, it means that the gospel that we're preaching is not just faddish or, or some new thing, but it is, it is built on the rock of ages. It is the truth of the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ preached in our church. And I have a dream team. I, I, I celebrate that recently I looked out and I said, how many of you, this is the only church you've known. And roughly two thirds of the hands went up. This is lighthouse is all they know because we save genuinely lost people, genuinely non-church people. So if you are a non-churched person, um, I, I guarantee you can find a place in, in our fellowship. I I I guarantee it. And you got to think about it. If most of the people we have are people that never had a former church affiliation or or don't know anything. Uh, One of my elders, one of my most recent elders was grew up as an atheist in Marin and from atheist to elder is his testimony. So that kind of, Hey, I don't know. I'm searching. I'm looking, dude, this is the, this is a place for you. And, and, and maybe finally in, in that thought is what I see for the future is I looked out and I saw 11 baby bubbles at one time in one service. I'm like, wow, <laughs> that's pregnant ladies. And one of them had twins. And, and, and they've all since been born, but the future is in our young people. Mm-hmm. And I celebrate right now our, our young adult workers, John and Yee, Jordan and Amber, and our amazing kids program leaders, Johnny and Victoria, because they are literally in our, our, our youth department leaders. Coy and Stephanie in what they're doing to raise these kids we we're seeing this growth that is so beautiful and so exciting
2: just real phenomenal discipleship having, happening and across the four campuses of Sonoma Lighthouse again ministry taking place in Sonoma, Santa Rosa, Guerneville. more information available on the web at sonomalighthouse.com that's sonoma lighthouse Dot com. If you're one of those people eavesdropping on this conversation today that says, you know, I'm looking for a place where I can grow where planted, I, I'm in that headspace of, here am I, Lord, send me, uh, maybe the calling is for you to get involved in the ministry of Sonoma Lighthouse. Again, information available on the web at SonomaLighthouse.com, or you can call area code 707-343-1616 at 707 707- 343 1616, or again on the web at sonomalighthouse.com. Our thanks to Pastor Steve Rays for being with us today. Pastor, it's been a thrill and a delight to get a chance to hear your story and uh, and also uh, just absorb some of your passion for, for ministry and for the Lord. Thank you again so much for your time today.
3: Thank you again for this privilege. He has risen. Nicely done. The first service was a little less, um, less there. We got it good. That's chapter and verse for those of you that don't know it. How many of you have actually read your Bible and you know that's in there? Good. Okay. Mm-hmm. Excited to speak to you this morning. Really, really grateful that you all came. Thank you for those of you that made the trek down here from Santa Rosa and also our Spanish church is with us today. God bless you. We love you, deeply, deeply loving. Um, I want to talk to you this morning about the resurrection and what that means to us in a real specific way. Would you bow your hearts with, for, for, with me just for a moment? Heavenly Father, in the next few minutes, open our hearts to you, open our spirits to what it is that you are speaking to us. I pray, God, that you would, in, in the next couple of minutes, help take everybody out of this limited natural realm and take them into their spiritual identity. Help them begin to consider who they're going to be for a lot longer than we have this flesh. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you know that right now, as I'm talking to you, there is a man on the throne? Jesus took on flesh and blood died, was buried, and rose, and is presently seated on the throne of heaven. He took on humanity and dragged it to the throne. <laughs> How many have ever tried to do something right? And, and despite your best ability, you, you manage to pull it off every now and then. You know what I'm talking about? Sometimes waking up in the morning is a miracle. Sometimes coffee just doesn't do it. Who knows what I'm talking about? Who can maybe relate to that a little Your testimony is living proof of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In the room today, we have people whose lives have been changed. If you're in the room and you once were and now you are, and those are different, wait, kind of wave at me a little bit, kind of look around for just a second, look at all the hands in the air. What that means is that God has taken you and took something, started with you, ditched it, built something cool, and now there is something fantastic on the inside of you. I want to talk to you about that today. Because faster than you realize, some of you with gray hair in the room, and then all the rest of us later, but those of you with gray hair knows how fast this thing goes. If you have gray hair in the room and you can remember a childhood memory like it was right there. Put your hand in the air, and look at me. Like it was yesterday. Because it kind of was, because time moves like that. It happens very fast to you, and listen carefully to me. Before you know it, we're all going to be in eternity. The resurrection of Christ opens up for us, opens a tomb, and says, Pay attention, there's more than this life and you're going to be in that realm lots longer than this realm. So while I completely understand that fabulous Sonoma days like today are absolutely captivating, can you believe this weather? It's amazing! But this thing goes by like that, and then we're in eternity. And I want you to unwrap for a minute from this limitation of flesh and blood, and I want you to open your eyes to the spiritual person that you are. Will you do that with me today? If you will do that with me today, put your hand in the air and say, Amen. Good, okay, there's three of you. Let's do it. Okay. You only need three. We have so many testimonies of changed lives in this house. So many. We've got people that used to be gangsters, they used to be cool, and then they got old. It, ha- it happens to the best of us, <clears throat> but Jesus is alive in you, and you're alive in Him. Easter announces the power of transformation. When Paul says this in the in Philippians, he says that I may know Christ, and and that I may know Him, and the power of His resurrection. When he says those two phrases, he says, I, I want to know him. That means that, that means there's this thing, I, I want to be with him. I want to be present with him wherever he's at. But then when he says, I want to know the power of his resurrection, it means I want to be like him. It means I want something to happen to me that changes me and makes me like what he is. There are many of you in the room that are like that. You have both of those desires. You want to be with him and you want to be like him. It's a good thing. Why? Well, look at your old life for just a second. Or maybe if you're here and you're new and you don't know about this ride, let me help you with something. Think about the deadness at work in your life. Think about the, the dead things, the anger. How does that magically become forgiveness and peace and kindness? It doesn't automatically. Or how about your insecurity and your hiding How does that become openness and confidence and and comfortable in your own skin? Not automatically. Or how about any other part of your brokenness, like your self centeredness? How does that just magically become someone that gives and shares and gives away? It doesn't do it alone. But Jesus comes into your life and the power of the Holy Spirit gets a hold of you when you surrender to him and you become something you're not and suddenly the places of anger you're ready to forgive. The place of hurt you're ready to be healed. And no matter what has happened to you God gives you hope again. He takes over by the Spirit. You know what that is? It's proof that you have conquered the enemy's claim over your life. Do you realize that? Do you realize that almost constantly noise going on and the enemy is making a claim on your life? I tell people all the time, I said, listen, you may not believe in Jesus, but if you try to serve him for five minutes, you will believe there's a devil because he will be at your throat trying to change your direction. Who knows? That's real. Well, let's start here. In order to teach you about the resurrection, we need to start here. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is a historical reality. If you're a thinking person, if you're an honest person, now most people are not burdened with that lately. (laughs) But just for a minute, pretend that you're burdened with, like the need to actually be truthful and honest, okay? (laughs) Just for a minute. There is more material evidence that Jesus Christ rose from the dead than there is that Caesar Augustus ran Rome. Or that Homer wrote the Iliad and the Odyssey. Or that Alexander the Great died at 33. There are documents that show that, but they pale in comparison to the number of documents and personal witnesses and original Testimony of the ones that walked with Jesus. Others, like the writings of for Caesar, you have to put together twelve different documents that were written nine hundred years later and try to put together what he was writing and what he meant. Nine hundred. You know, a couple of things can happen in nine hundred years. Just saying. Yeah. A year here, a year there. I you're talking about a lot of years. <laughs> but eyewitnesses of the resurrection wrote the gospel accounts. Friends, that just means this. If you're going to be intellectually honest and you're going to believe that Caesar Augustus was a real person, you have to believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead on greater verification. Myth? Yeah, hardly. I, I, there's all this, you know, you get a I, I love the sign that says, don't, don't you love WebMD? Uh, you are dead. Oh, darn. I, I thought I just had a cough. Oh, no, no, you're dead. You're dead, dead. <laughs> Babe, I'm dead. Don't, don't you hate web. Up. And, and, and you, so you walk in the doctor's office and it says, Do please do not confuse your Google search with my medical degree. <laughs> How many of you know that's true? Right? Do we have a little bit of sanity in the room for the moment? Well, then let me help you with something. There's all this stuff up the. Door. Oh, Jesus, myth, myth, myth. Listen, care, hardly. It wasn't their idea. First of all, they were shocked. Jesus kept saying, going to die, going to rise, going to die. Gonna... They're like, yeah, uh-uh. what wonder what that means. It was not their idea. They were completely stupefied. He dies, the world was over. It was all done. Oh, no, what are we going to do? It wasn't like they hid somewhere and they're all getting together. What are we going to do? And someone just goes, I, I know, I know. We'll say he rose from the dead. Yeah, no, that's not, that's not how it happened. They would have called him ridiculous also. They were just as surprised as everybody else when he did rise from the dead. When the same ladies that wrapped up his body and put it in the box and, and put it in that tomb and they watched that thing get sealed, those same ladies went to that place and said, we, we put him right here when he's not there anymore. They were just as confused. And you know what? That truth did not make it easier for them. It made it harder. Why in the world would they pick that as a direction? Because now they would have to prove he was alive. And there was only one way you could do that. And that was the power of God. And anybody that's in the presence of God, or anybody that's been healed by the power of God, can testify to the reality of His existence and the fact that He is real in your life has changed you. If that's you, tell me, Amen. amen. Who knows who Ch- Charles Colson, Chuck Colson is? Put your hand in the air if you know. Ooh, more more in this one than the last time. Uh, who knows what Watergate is? Yeah, more hands. So Chuck Colson went to jail for Watergate. And you know what he says? He says, I believe in the resurrection that it's a fact. He says, Watergate proved this to me. Uh, That begs the question, right? What? Huh? Here's why, he said. He said, I know the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified that they'd seen Jesus raised from the dead. Then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years. Never once denying it. And every one was beaten, tortured, stoned, put in prison, and I add, many died for it. He says, they would not have endured that if it weren't true. He goes on to say, Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep a secret, they couldn't keep a lie together for three weeks. You're telling me 12 apostles could keep alive for 40 years. Absolutely impossible. If you are a thinking person, you really have to wrap your head around that. Why? Because the resurrection changes everything that we know about death. Death is no longer a prison. It's not an end. It's now the pathway to the presence of God and spending eternity with him forever. You need not fear the first death, friend. You need to fear the second death where God can cast both your soul and your body into hell. Yes, I said hell. Happy Easter. Tell somebody, Happy Easter. Kind of growl a little bit when you say it. You can nail truth to a cross. You can wrap it up in clothes. You can pin it in and you can put a rock in the front. But truth is going to walk out alive. You can't keep truth dead forever. Somebody say hallelujah. To illustrate that today, I want to use a story in the, in the New Testament about a guy named Saul of Tarsus. He became Paul. How many of you know that? His name is Saul at the time. And so here's the thing he's kind of, he's kind of distanced from. The, the, the resurrection. The resurrection occurs and first thing is we have is the women and the people come in the tomb. oh my gosh, they're running away. Oh go tell them and the whole thing. And on that same day Jesus is walking and, and meets with two guys from Emmaus and tells them all that's going on and they're there well, oh they come they see they see the Lord there. And then later Jesus fills hundred and twenty with the Holy Spirit. And then after that Stephen is is, is martyred and and and, and all this stuff is going on. So so Jesus is definitely alive and by the way he's been very busy. And meanwhile, Saul has this event. Who was Saul? Well, he basically, basically, Saul was a man who wanted to be right and do right. He was a man living a purpose-driven life. He was a man living his best life now. What? What? He was. So what if he was murdering a couple of people? They happened to be Christian. Guys. You need to wrap your head around something. He thought God had assigned him that job. He lived his entire life believing his mission to wipe out Christianity was ordained by God. Saul was protecting Judaism as far as he knew and his heritage in Jehovah. This was not some some whack job doing. To, this was a guy that went to the right, born to the right parents, went to the right school, got the right grades, did the paid his taxes. God, but you get the idea. Yeah. This just somebody upstanding. Say he recycled, okay. Yeah. If they had recycling back then, you get the idea. He like he, he was he was the dude. He was, the the community loved him. They they you know he petted dogs and and and. Are we, are we good? Do we like him yet? are you there? Have we built it? Are we good? Too much. Okay. So that's who Saul was. Saul knew that Jesus was crucified. He just didn't believe that he had risen from the dead. He knew what had happened. He knew that Jesus had been put on a cross he knew his disciples had still followed him. He, he knew what the newest thing was. Oh, no. Now they're saying he rose from the dead. Ah. And now he's going out and he was there when Stephen was martyred. And now he's chasing the rest to stop this thing. He thought he was doing good. How many of you know we can be desperately, desperately wrong and not know it? Here's what happens he's rudely interrupted. Nine, Acts 9, verse 3. So Paul was traveling, and it happened that as he was coming near to Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed all around him. Wow. Four. And he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Stop for a second. Now, if I was, I mean, Saul is in the moment, and I'm, you know, got light, Got the shaky thing. Got the got. Boom! Force knocks him to the ground. I'm thinking he thinks. You know, if I if if I would have met you before, I I'm I'm pretty sure I would remember this. This is sort of a new thing. Verse five, Saul says, "Who who are you, Lord? Remember, voice, light, shaky thing. Lord just simply means you. Obviously, outrank me. I don't know who you are. I don't know anything else about you. But you are obviously more authoritative than I am. And I, I don't know who I'm dealing with. And then he, and then he hears the scary thing on Jesus Christ, whom you crucified. So many of you. You might entertain the idea of being wrong on certain levels and certain things, and you might be open to that. But if the level of your wrongness approaches the idea that Jesus Christ is who he says he is, the only way, the only truth, and the only life... You might not be so open to being wrong. And you might be a little personally defensive because that's not the truth you want to hear at Easter. But it is the truth nonetheless. That the Jesus Christ that walked on the earth and that carried the cross and that died on that cross and that was put in that grave walked out of that tomb because the claims that he made about being the way, the truth, and the life were right. The resurrection proves he was right about who he said he was. Saul is confronted in this thing. And many of you, as I said earlier, are changed. And every salvation, every life change. Yeah, I'm looking at you. Every salvation and every life change is an absolute direct, dramatic conflict between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of darkness. And in that conflict, God won in your life. And that's how you start your Christian life. It gets better from there. You start winning. You live by winning. And you end victorious. That is Christianity. Every salvation is a violent overthrow of the kingdom of the enemy. And God doesn't ask anyone's permission to save them, by the way. I I can't sing songs that say... I can't sing songs, commercial. I can't sing songs that say, Lord, I give you permission. I, I can't do that. Here's what that means. Parents, you're not helpless. Pray. Amen. I don't care what's going on with kids. I don't care what's happening. I get it. It's crazy. It's a hot mess out there. Understand, don't give up. Don't give up. Keep praying for your kids. I'm preaching to you right now because a praying mother instituted God's will For my life, completely without my permission. (laughs) To the violent, take it by force, let's go get it. All right, so there's this awkward truth. I I met, I ran into this gal one time, full goth, full, pre black, everything, everything. No white. You know how like some goth people wear white accents? Right? Who knows what I'm talking about? White, got the, I mean, got the black goth thing going, got the white accents. Who knows what I'm talking about? Okay, no, 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 none of that. All black. Except for a single piece of coloring. A lanyard that was this wide. Red. That said, I heart Jesus. I heart Jesus. I heart Jesus. I... I'm behind her at Starbucks. I'm thinking, w- I, if, I, I've got to talk to you. <laughs> right? Isn't that what you would think? How many of you would think that? Be honest. Put your hand in the air. Oh, there's more than you in that. Come on. There we go. Okay. I heart you. And I I kind of, excuse, excuse, excuse me. Excuse me. And she turned around and she snarled. (laughs) Okay, she didn't hiss, but it felt like it. I said, you, uh, you. You you heart Jesus. I, I I heart Jesus too. Big fan. She says she says, What's not to love? I yielded. She won, I yielded, she got me. What's not to love, right? unless you wanted him dead. You see, there's this awkward truth, and that's that there were people who wanted Jesus dead. Saul was one of them. Born right, lived right, all that. Wanted Jesus out of the picture. You know, we live in a culture that's like that. Let God come in, let all spirituality, let let's all believe that we all somehow are all some you know, yeah. <laughs> except that it's not true. That'll be great except that it's not true. Because Jesus is who he said he was. Because Jesus rose from the dead. You gotta understand something. Crucifixion is a very effective form of murder. Because it doesn't just do the job and kill you. It exhausts the victim all along the process. By the end of the thing, the victim most often dies because they flat out run out of energy to breathe again. You basically squish the life out of somebody and here's the problematic part Jesus didn't deserve to die and everybody knows that and this is mostly what I want to point out to you today we live in a society where injustice is all we're consumed about it's all we can think about how I've been wronged and how you don't understand me. And how I'm, and, you and your side, and my side, and this isn't fair. And I'm not getting what I deserve. And, and everything, uh, and, and yeah. more, and more. And all I can feel, and think, and see, and all I can wrap my world around is how I've been wronged. Come on. Come on. Yep. We live in this. We live in this. And in the process, we see people being absolute jerks. Dumb. And they're not stopping. And we just want them to stop so we can get along. We just want a little sanity in this thing. And it's not happening. This is the crucifixion of Jesus. It was everything that was injustice. And he said, yeah, y'all are like that. Put it on me. I will pick up that tab. And Jesus embraced that injustice that we live in. Well, what does it do? Well, the people, his followers, they said, "Uh, I... He wasn't supposed to die. I I, I don't know what happened. I I didn't sign up for this. I didn't sign up for a Jesus that dies. I, I signed up for the Jesus that goes and conquers the Roman. And then we all get put in power. And I sit on the right. and He sits on the left. In that order. I didn't sign up for the Jesus thing where he dies. Where he serves. Where he humbles himself. I didn't sign up for that one except that that's the one he brought. And so they ended disappointed. I don't know if you've ever been disappointed. You're giggling. Does that mean maybe you have been? I see a moi in the corner, okay? Then I have the best news in the world for you. Because in the middle of all of those failed expectations... Jesus does the unthinkable. And Easter overcomes our disappointment. Because the God that doesn't have to pretend because he can raise the dead did. And said, everything's wrong with that. That means it's dead. Let's bring it back to life. So wherever you are in your life and whatever you're going through, and whatever you're experiencing, know this. Jesus can take your life, turn it around, and make beauty out of the ashes of your life. He can take the disappointment that you really experienced and give a spin on it and give you a brand new start in it that'll just blow your mind. You are not helpless. He's risen indeed. In Romans, we see just three quick things and then I'll wrap it up. Paul is a bondservant of Christ. He's an apostle. After he gets knocked down, he says, okay, I get it. I'm serving the big powerful one now. I'm now a servant. I was cool a minute ago. After I picked myself up off the floor, I'm a servant now. (laughs) Who's hearing me today? I'm called the apostle. I'm set apart for the gospel, which to... God, the Father, promised before through His prophets in the Holy Scriptures. That means Scriptures. That means it was written down. That means it was clear enough to be written. Verse 3, concerning His Son, who was born of the Son of David according to the flesh. Verse 4, who was declared, revealed, shown, proven to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection of the dead by the Spirit of holiness. This is who we're dealing with. From that, we see three quick things. First, that Jesus was raised from the dead by prophetic word. That means that thousands of years before, God said he was going to do something, and then he did it. You serve a God that knows the future, is in control of the future, and in control of your life as a result. And he can communicate it clearly enough to you that you can write it down, as some of the prophets did thousands of years before there's there's three quick ways we see that happening first old testament prophets foretold his suffering they said he ways in which he would suffer agony he would experience what that would look like but then there were also old testament figures that prefigured his crucifixion things like the passover where the lamb and the blood of the lamb was touched on the top and on the sides and when you looked at the way the blood fell it was almost like a man had been nailed to a cross Thousands of years before it actually happened. But it didn't end there because Israel itself, when it came out of Egypt, they camped in the middle of the wilderness. And you know, if you do the math on the number of things all the way through, you see "Mm, this many on this side, this many on that side. And when you're done and you look from the heaven and the heavenly perspective of that thing, Israel camps in the picture of a cross, a Roman cross that wouldn't be invented until thousands of years later that Jesus would hang on and die. Pretty cool trick. just saying but the second thing we see is that Jesus actually specifically told his disciples that he would be crucified and rise number two Jesus was raised from the dead by his father's permission so first it was prophetic that he did it and secondly it was by the permission of his father Jesus said my father's giving me permission to lay down my life and take it up again And it showed that he had the authority. No one took his life from him. He laid it down and then he picked it back up. And thirdly, Jesus was raised from the dead by the Spirit's power. Look at verse 4 again. He was declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. Would you stand up with me, please? Musicians, would you come? Here's what I want you to understand. Is that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the ultimate mic drop? There's no comeback possible, there's no argument that can defeat it. He took up his cross. He died on that cross and he came back from the dead for me and for you. And it ends the argument of disappointment over your life. Why? Because the greatest gift Easter gives you and me is a gift of hope. Because it feels so hopeless when death takes over. But death isn't the end. And the Jesus that died for you and died for me died because farther into eternity than you can imagine, he's already got a plan for us to be with him, to fellowship with him. And he wants to start that in your life today. Maybe you're visiting, maybe you don't know the deal. You can have this. Life that Jesus gave on the cross as your own. That's why He put it there. He hung it up so you could have a place to reach for it, so you could have a place to look and see it. Maybe this is news to you. Maybe <clears throat> the way I like to put it, some of you know better. And today, If you would like to make Jesus Christ your Lord. If you would like to surrender and say, you know what, I'm done running. I I want to say yes to Jesus today. If that's you, I want to pray with you. I want to agree with you and that desire. If that's you and you want to do that, put your hand in the air so I can pray with you. I knew it. Amen. Who else? In the back, who else? Who else? All right, if you've got your hand in the air with me, would you just pray with me? Heavenly Father, I stand before you today. And in the name of your Son, Jesus, I surrender my life. Today, I call you my Lord. I give you my life and my future. I ask you, humbly, come into my life. Lead me forward. I want to do your will and I want to complete your purpose because I want to please the Father. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Father, for everyone that rose their hand today, God, I pray over them the blessing of belonging that you are the God that immediately receives the one that means it with all their heart. Nothing is in the way. Now you love them and know them. You embrace them because you will not reject those that come to you. Thank you, God, for this over their life. I pray these things in Jesus' name.
2: Pastor Steve Reyes, senior pastor of Sonoma Lighthouse with campuses in Sonoma, Santa Rosa and Guerneville. Information available on the web at sonomalighthouse.com or you can call area code 707-343-1616 at 707-343-1616 or again on the web at sonomalighthouse.com.
1: This has been the Church of the Week, showcasing churches and pulpit ministries from across the greater San Francisco Bay Area. To nominate your congregation for Church of the Week, please email us the name and address of your pastor and church along with a link to your church's website to churchoftheweek@salemsf.com. Again, that's the name and address of your pastor and church along with a link to the website and email to churchoftheweek at salemsf.com. While all submissions will be considered, not every submission is guaranteed airtime. Thank you for joining us today, and be sure to tune in again next week at this time for the Church of the Week.